I don't know if it's standing up here at this stage in the sermon is something I, le- I will ever get used to. Um, it's very strange uh, to be standing up here at this time, but um, it's good to be here nonetheless. Um, well, as I'm sure you're aware by now, our sermon today is not following on in Matthew. I thought we might do something a little bit different this morning um, and look at one of my favourite stories in the Bible, uh, David and Goliath. So keep your Bibles open at 1 Samuel 17. Um, we're going to be trying to cover the whole story in, in one full sweep, so it's going to be somewhat of a flying visit this morning. Um, but just as we get started, I wonder, um, have you ever had a problem so big you just felt like you could not overcome it? Have you ever had to deal with an issue that just felt impossible? Something that you just wished someone else would fix for you? Something so awful you just wanted to run away from it. Well, in the passage um, we've been reading this morning, the Israelites have a big problem. The Philistine forces have gathered and are prepared for battle on one side of the valley. The Israelites have armed themselves and are on the other side of the valley. Both armies have drawn their battle lines and are now standing face to face, waiting for one another to make the first move. But both lines remained Unbroken. Both parties stayed put on either side of the valley. And then in verse 4, we read that the deadlock between these two opposing forces was brought to an end by a giant. So we'll look at our first point this morning. Uh, we see the Philistine, Philistine camp produce a giant problem in verses 4 to 10. And in these verses, we are introduced to our giant problem, Goliath. Uh, But who was Goliath? Uh, Well, we're introduced to someone who is from a place called Gath, but who also is described first and foremost as a champion. And that title of champion would not have been easily obtained or given lightly. When you think of a champion or a team that are champions in their sport, there's maybe a few that pop to mind for you. Someone like you see in Bolt might pop to mind, world famous for his lightning pace, and his many, many gold medals. Or you you might, like me, think of the New Zealand All Blacks, if you like your rugby, um, who have won two consecutive Rugby World Cups. I might get myself into trouble here, but you might even think of a team like Manchester United. Under Alex Ferguson, they seem to do no wrong. Well, I think of a champion, um, when I think of a champion, I think of teams or athletes who are hard to beat, or in some cases, remain unbeaten. So when Goliath takes the stage, we can be sure he would have been someone who would have fought in many battles and against many opponents. And in most cases, probably all of those cases, he would have always come out on top. I would say he was probably an extremely skilled fighter, but the thing that made Goliath different, the thing that set Goliath apart from the average fighting man at that time was his size. And depending on the Bible you're using, it might describe his height as being six cubits and a span. Cubits and spans were just an old way of measuring height and length at that time, much the same way we use feet and inches today. Um, So this measurement of six cubits and a span would have brought Goliath to a total height of nine foot six inches approximately. So some people tell me that I'm tall and I'm six foot, so Goliath would have been considerably taller than me. No matter what way your Bible 
describes how tall Goliath was. Um, from Balamoni, I would say he's a big brute. Um, Goliath was a man mountain. Perhaps in some cases, Goliath only needed to stand to his full height, and his opponent would have ran for the hills. Well, if his sheer size did not scare you away, perhaps the equipment that he carried would do the trick. Don't be fooled to think that Goliath was just a tall man, because the equipment he carried and the weight that it carried paints a picture of this man being as broad as he is tall. We see in verse 5 that it starts by describing what sat on his head, a bronze helmet. And it doesn't give too much detail about the bronze helmet, but it'll feature a wee bit later on in the story, so keep listening for that. Um, And then once it's finished with the bronze helmet, it goes on to talk about what he wore on his chest, a coat of scale armour, also made of bronze, and it weighed 5,000 shekels. And in today's weight, 5,000 shekels would come in roughly at 57 kilograms. Um, Now, from the part of the country that I'm from, we used to have people along the side of the road who sold potatoes by the sack. I've never seen that on the Shinkle Road, but there used to be these guys who would sell these by the sack. And a sack of potatoes was 25 kilograms. Now, one sack of potatoes is quite awkward, quite heavy to carry, but imagine carrying two of those at a time and you're coming close to the weight that Goliath would have carried on his chest. And that was just one piece of his equipment. In verse 6, then, we move on to the armour that he wore on his legs, um, where he wore bronze greaves. There's a bit of theme development. Goliath really liked his bronze. Um, greaves um, look something similar to shin pads that are worn in a game of football or hockey today. And they usually would have started just where the boot ended, so just above the ankle, and came to just above the knee. So for Goliath, these would have been um, an important piece of equipment, him being so tall and others being considerably shorter. His opponents would have struck him where they could hit him, and that would have meant primarily his legs. Um, The old saying goes, no matter how big the man is, if you take him out by the legs, he will go down. Uh, And this would have been something very prevalent for Goliath. So wearing armour on his legs was something very essential for him. So we know that Goliath was protected very well from head to foot, but we also know that he was also very well armed as well. He carried three primary weapons. He had a javelin which was strapped to his back, he had a spear in his hand, and a sword which was probably strapped to his waist. The javelin we read, you guessed it, was made of bronze, and it was slung across his back at the time he walked out to face the Israelites. And this was probably the lightest of all his weapons to make it easy to throw for a distance. The next weapon we read about is the spear. And by the way it's described, this would have been a weapon specifically made for someone who was very large and very strong in order to wield it. A big brute needed a big spear, and this spear was colossal. We are told that the shaft of the spear, which was probably made of wood, was like a weaver's rod or beam. So for material to be woven together, it needs to go through a piece of equipment called a loom. And at the top of the loom you had a beam which held all of the individual strands of thread which were known as the web. Um, And in the middle then, that's where all those pieces of material would be woven together to give you a piece of material. And at the bottom then you had another beam which collected all that material 
Um, and those two beams, the, one at the beam at the top and the beam at the bottom, are what were known as be weaver's beams or weaver's rods. And these would have been really thick, really sturdy, to hold the weight of the material going through the loom. So when the Bible describes the spear shaft being like a weaver's rod, we know that it was extremely thick, more than likely around three inches thick. A large hand needed a large spear shaft. So we know the shaft of the spear was impressive. And again, it gives an idea of the size Goliath was. He would have wanted a spear shaft that he could wrap his whole hand around very comfortably. But we know the dangerous end of the spear, the pointy end of the spear, was even more impressive than that. Turning back to verse 7, we know the spearhead on its own weighed 600 shekels, which roughly works out at 6.8 kilograms. Um, so if you enjoy bacon, um, if you like rustling up some sweet treats on a Saturday afternoon, then you will know the weight of a bag of sugar in your hand. Um, well, that spearhead of Goliath's weighed almost as much as seven bags of sugar. Now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to be hit with one bag of sugar, let alone the weight of seven hitting me. But then to introduce a sharp point on top of that as well, you would have had a recipe for disaster. I actually found a website which was completely devoted to replicating what Goliath's spear would have looked like. Uh, and they actually made this thing um, as as accurately as they could to the way that the Bible describes it. And it's actually quite amazing just to see the size and the difference between the size of a spear and the average size of a man. And again, this gives us a really good picture of the size of the man who was able to wield this. Uh, so we can see he had a wide array of weapons for all occasions and functions. Uh, so far we've seen long distance, long range, mid-range, but he also had a weapon then for close quarters as well because we can see that he also had a sword. Uh, we don't get much info about the sword. Um, but if you turn to 1 Samuel 29 verse 9, we do get a small piece of information about it. In that verse it tells us that it was an impressive weapon. And we can assume that it, like all of Goliath's weapons, was completely custom made for Goliath's use. Well, the icing on the cake about Goliath was that he carried so many weapons and so much armour that he didn't even have any more space on his own back to carry his own shield because he had someone go with him into every battle, into every fight to carry his shield for him. So this is the man that Israel were up against. This was their giant problem. And after knowing what we know about him now, we can appreciate the fear that Israel felt when they saw him. But it wasn't enough that the Israelites saw Goliath. They were about to hear him. We know he looked apart and he had all the gear to play the part. Now he comes out and challenges the Israelites. And in verses 8 to 11, we can see he sounded the part as well. He was a big guy, so he probably had a big voice. He steps into the middle of the valley and bellows out for Israel to send out a fighter. But it wasn't just the right to brag of victory over one Israelite that Goliath wanted. He wanted the prize of total victory over the whole army. If I beat their best, then who else can stand against me? So he lays down the gauntlet in a winner-takes-all challenge. Whichever side won would have the prize 
of the other side as their subjects to serve them. Well, of course, Goliath being the size, he is as happy with these terms, but Saul and the men of Israel did not like the sound of these terms at all. They know that physically they cannot beat this guy. They see the giant problem before them, and the king's courage fails. Saul just lost all of his courage, and his men seeing Saul lose heart, they follow suit. For 40 days, Goliath steps out morning and evening to take his stand and utter the challenge. But Goliath has made a grave mistake. You see, Goliath wasn't stepping out and challenging the men he could see standing before him. He was challenging God. He stands in defiance of God. He has laid down a challenge against an opponent he cannot overcome. Size, strength, armour, weapons, bags of confidence would not give Goliath victory against God. So we've taken a look at Goliath in detail. A giant problem he is, but not impossible, not for God. Now in our second point, we see God provide an unlikely solution in verses 17 to 37. Saul and all his fighting men are not full of courage or bravery when it comes to dealing with the giant. The Israelite army was in dismay and disarray and they felt like they were beaten already. God's unlikely solution was not to be found in an army full of fighting men who would not fight. It was to be found far away from battle in a field and we fell called David. We've already heard all about the biggest character in our story. Now let's turn our attention to the smallest. So who was David then? Well, we can see from verses 12 to 15 that he was the son of Jesse. And out of Jesse's eight sons, David is the youngest. Now we aren't told how old David or his brothers are, only that the three eldest were part of Saul's forces and had gone to fight. So we know that David wasn't yet at fighting age to be part of the army, which would have put him at less than 20 years old. He had to be more than 20 years old in order to sign up for the army in those days. And it's believed, based on the three elder brothers who were in the army and the rest of the brothers, that David's age was in and around 15 or 16, but it's hard to tell. The reason that David is an unlikely solution is partly to do with his age, but also because of his occupation as well. He just looked after sheep. Not the first choice that many would put up against Goliath. And seeing David and Goliath side to side, it seems like a bit of an unfair fight. So how does David come to be caught up in all of this then? Well, it starts with a worrying father. Parents down through the generations all do the same thing when it comes to their children they worry. Jesse was worrying about his three lads on the front line and naturally he wants to get word back from them to say that they're okay, they're alright and without the use of telephone, email or whatsapp the only way to get word back was to send a messenger and David being the youngest had no doubt been appointed the family skivvy years ago and he's tasked with running this message he's told go and bring back word But also, while you're going, take this grain, these loaves, and these cheeses. Um, The grain alone, an ephah of grain, would have weighed approximately 15 kilograms. So this would have been no easy job for David. Uh, But the next morning, he gets all this stuff 
gathered up and he heads in the direction of the battlefield. Uh, and we aren't told if there be any form of transport here for David. He didn't have a donkey or a horse. Um, so all of this weight, all of this stuff was probably on his own back uh, and he had to carry it himself. Well, he may not have been the same size as Goliath, but if he had to carry all that weight, even for a short distance, I think it's safe to assume that David was tight, was quite a tight wee fella. Even for the fact that later on in the chapter it talks about David dealing with wild animals, I think it's safe to assume that David would be able to handle himself okay. But David doesn't even seem phased when he arrived in the Israelite camp. And literally he had just arrived when Goliath walks out and shouts his usual challenge to Israel. And Israel do as they always do when they see Goliath. Uh, when they hear Goliath and they see him, they run away. And how often do we see ourselves doing this in life? Some big issue, some big trial comes our way, and all we see is how impossible it would be to overcome. And we forget that if we're trusting in God, he can help us through any <coughs> trial, no matter how giant or impossible it may seem to us. Nothing is impossible to God. And that is what the Israelites are missing here. They had forgotten that God was on their side. God had been there for them and given them the victory on previous occasions. But God has been forgotten about in this situation. God has been pushed out of their minds by the image of this massive man with massive weapons and massive threats standing in front of them. And there's only one person in the whole Israelite camp that remembers that God is on their side and he has just got there. He's literally just arrived. All the chat in the Israelite camp would have been about Goliath. King Saul had promised wealth beyond imagination to whoever slew the giant, as well as the honour of having his daughter's hand in marriage that would have had exempted you from tax as well. You would have effectively been welcomed into the royal family. So many were considering the offer, except for David. David's concern was for God's honour. And as David stands and upholds God's name in front of all the soldiers around him, his brother steps in and rebukes him. No doubt it was quite hurtful for David to hear his brother say he was wicked and selfish in front of all the men within earshot. But that isn't something that even puts David off. He goes right back to talking with those around him of how this Philistine defies God. Well, in an army camp where people are living on top of one another, word gets around quickly, it seems. Because word had reached the ears of Saul of what David was saying, and he's called before the king. His eldest brother thought he was a fool, but the only fool that David was was full of the strength and courage of God. And he was fully prepared to step out in faith and fight Goliath. And he tells Saul as much. But Saul only has doubt for David. All Saul sees is a young boy full of bravado. But David isn't prepared to let this go. He isn't prepared to walk away from this. He will be fighting Goliath. He even goes as far as to tell Saul that he fought off wild animals, protecting the sheep in his care, and that God had delivered him uh, when he fought the bear and when he fought the lion. And he knows it in his very core that God will deliver him on this occasion as well. And Saul has no response for what David says. 
He's bowled over by David's faith and his confidence in God. And all he can say in response is, Go, and the Lord be with you. I really want us to have faith that David displays here when we are up against it. I want us to have that same confidence that David had in God and know and be able to say, the Lord is with me. No matter what comes our way, the Lord is with me. So already we thought about Israel's giant problem and then we had a look at the unlikely solution that God provided uh, in the form of this small shepherd boy, David. And now we look at our third and final point this morning, triumph over a giant in verses 38 to 58. Well, we've been introduced to our two opponents. In the red corner, we have Goliath, the man-mountain and heavyweight champion of the world. And in the blue corner, we have the underdog and shepherd boy, David. We already know that Goliath came prepared for a fight because he stepped forward every day for 40 days to challenge Israel fully suited and booted. He was ready. But David, on the other hand, had absolutely no need for armour from day to day. So we know he didn't have a piece of armour to his name. King Saul, however, had both armour and weapons, and since he wasn't volunteering himself to step forward and face the enemy, these items were freely offered to David. So David gets fully dressed in the armour and he straps on Saul's sword, but they just wouldn't do. The armour was too big, too heavy, and he just wasn't used wearing it. So he takes it all off again and sets it aside and he sticks to what he knows. And this is where we see David's weapons of choice. Goliath had a really impressive array of weapons. David's, not so much. He had a staff and a sling. David had been outfitted in the king's armour, the best armour in the entire army. He was wearing the best that money could buy. Five-star rate army. Five-star rate armour, you might say, fit for a king. And he set the five-star armour aside and he picks up five smooth stones to go alongside his sling and he walks out to meet the Philistine. David steps out just as he was, knowing that God would use him. It takes courage and faith to do that. And I wonder this morning, have you ever found yourself saying no when you're asked to do something? To serve God in some way and you say no. I'm not the right person. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I have too much on my plate. Do you ever find yourself saying those things? God took David as he was and he is now face to face with the giant on the edge of battle. It doesn't get much bigger than that. God takes us as we are to do his will and if we lack something, if there's something that we need, then God will provide it for us. We can do anything through Christ who gives us strength. That very morning, David set off with the weight of grain bread and cheese on his shoulder (coughs) and now he stands before Goliath with the weight of Israel on his shoulders but God had given him all he needed as David approached he didn't even come close to striking fear into the giant when Goliath sees David carrying his staff he jokes that he's treating him like a dog and he wants to play fetch 
Goliath's heart is not in this fight at all. Um, but in verse 44, Goliath says, All joking aside, his intention is to turn David into mincemeat and to feed him to the local wildlife. But this was the last thing that Goliath would get to say. Because from this point on, the big bellowing giant is silenced. We see in verses 45 to 47, it's David's turn to talk. And David tells him, it won't be me that's fed to the wildlife, it'll be you. You brought all this stuff, you have all these weapons, you have all this armour, but there's something more important that I have that you don't. I have God. And David's attitude here isn't, I'll show you, it's about me. His attitude wasn't that way at all. His attitude was, I will show you God through this fight. You and everyone here will see God. If we had been there and looked out on the battlefield, we would have seen Goliath and his shield bearer and this tiny wee boy standing in front of them. And as Goliath stood and scoffed and both sides looked on, that is what they would have saw. A boy, all on his own, against the champion. But what David knew was more important to him than what others could see. Because he knew that right behind him stood the God of heaven and earth. And with that in mind, he took his stand. Fear or worry never seems to have crossed his mind. Because as Goliath came forward and advanced, not being weighed down by armour, David is able to run out to meet him. Goliath, with all his kit on, couldn't move quite so quickly. And it's with this same quick pace that David brings this bout to a swift conclusion. Because no sooner had Goliath taken a few paces towards David than David had ran, got himself into range of Goliath, taken out his sling, reached into his bag, produced one of the five smooth stones, loaded the sling, slung it for all he was worth, and let the stone fly with deadly precision. For the well-equipped warrior that Goliath was, he had a weak spot that lay exposed. In verse 5 we were told that Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head. Now whether he forgets to wear his helmet, he maybe felt that it wasn't important to put it on, he maybe had a visor, a visor that he forgot to put down uh, to cover the front of his head, or his helmet just simply did not have covering on the front of his head, we aren't sure exactly. What we are sure of is the devastation that takes place when stone meets head. Such was the force behind that small stone that it sinks into its mark right in the forehead, causing immediate death. Goliath, the man-mountain as I've called him, the Philistine champion, fell face down like a freshly felled tree. When the men of Israel see the giant felled and his head removed from his shoulders, they surge forward. Now they find their strength, they find their courage now, and they give chase. The Philistines were defeated royally. Their prized champion was dead. The army was chased the whole way home, and their camp plundered for all the goodies. And all this stemmed from one shepherd boy. The day before, all the men of Israel knew was an impossible task. Now, though, they have total victory and all because David was used by God. We aren't too insignificant for God to use us in a great way. We aren't too young, too old, too quiet, too shy, too weak for God to use us. We don't need to be skilled at talking or confident. 
there are no essential criteria for us to be chosen and used by God to do his will. David was just a shepherd boy. He was just a fellow who tended sheep. Just a lad. He wasn't even deemed old enough to hold a sword and fight in the army. But God used him to overcome what was deemed humanly impossible. David was God's chosen champion. What the Israelites needed at that time was a rescuer, someone to deliver them from the hands of Goliath and the Philistines. No one in the Israelite camp was prepared to step forward or could face the giant. Each time Goliath stepped forward, they ran back. They literally could not save themselves. Then God provided a solution, a really unlikely solution. King Saul's finest didn't feel well enough equipped to go and meet Goliath. Yet God sent this young lad, and for some this solution wasn't good enough. He was rejected and told to leave by his eldest brother. The men in the army didn't take much notice of him, and King Saul doubted he could even stand up and fight Goliath. They didn't believe David was the champion God had sent, yet we see the impossible overcome. We see God's champion victorious and the enemy defeated. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, just like the army of Israel, and you see a giant problem in your life. But rather than seeing a physical giant, you see a spiritual giant, your sin. And just like the Israelites, that problem is something that you want desperately to get away from. Because you know that there is nothing you can do to overcome your sin on your own. You aren't equipped, and you aren't able to do away with that giant problem. The sin in your life just won't go away just the same as Goliath each day when you wake up it's still there well the same way that God provided a solution a champion for dealing with Goliath God sent a champion to deal with sin and that champion is Jesus Christ and if you're worried that there isn't anything that you can do about your sin you would be right because only Jesus can deal with it only Jesus can forgive it And only Jesus can set you free from it. And if you aren't worried about your sin, you should be. Goliath and the Philistines wanted nothing more than to carry the Israelites into captivity. And the sin in our lives is carrying us into captivity. It's carrying us into eternal punishment. And this is why God sent a champion. The only one who could defeat sin. Jesus came to die on the cross to defeat the impossible, our impossible on our behalf and the same way that David willingly went forward to defeat Goliath regardless of the fact that most people disregarded him or doubted him or scorned him Jesus Jesus willingly went forward to defeat sin despite the fact that he knew there would be those who would disregard him there would be those who wouldn't accept him and there would be those who would hate him Jesus still went to the cross to die He still died to pay the price for our sin. And if we decide that we do not want to accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and as the champion over our sin, then we stand in much the same position as Goliath, in opposition of God. Goliath openly stood against God, defied God, because he thought he was bigger and better than God. And we see what happens to those who stand against God. They come up short. All the weapons and armour 
in the world would not have protected Goliath against God. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, but I don't stand against God. I live a good life. I read my Bible. I come to SCF. But doing those things is not enough. If we have not sought Jesus' forgiveness, then we stand in defiance of God by the sin in our lives and our refusal to accept his champion as our saviour, we would stand in defiance of God. And those who stand against God, like Goliath and the Philistines, will be overrun and destroyed. But it does not have to be this way. We can avoid eternal punishment by accepting Jesus in our lives. Jesus has defeated sin on the cross and he extends his hand of salvation to us. We just need to accept it. Jesus is inviting us to share in his victory. Will you accept that invitation? Or will you continue to stand in opposition? In verse 47, and I'm going to finish with this, it says, The Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. Jesus has defeated sin. Death has been overcome. Let's just pray now and finish. Lord and Father, we thank you for your champion that you sent to deal with sin, Lord. Um, We know and we are aware that there was nothing that we could do ourselves, Lord, to save us from our own sin. Yet you sent a champion who was able, who was more than able to defeat sin. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his death on the cross, Lord, and for what that means for us. That we can be rescued from our sin and we can escape captivity. We can escape eternal punishment all because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for that, Lord, in your name. Amen.